the marinade. There's no O in marinade. Let's try it one more time. Ready? One, <laughs> two, three. <laughs> the marinade. Marrow. Marrow. Marinade. Bone marinade. The marinade. The marinade. With Jason Earl. Welcome to The Marinade, a free-flowing conversation about the creative process with creative people. Each episode, we welcome musicians, actors, comedians, authors, visual artists, filmmakers, anyone who creates art to talk about how and why we make stuff. This is episode 157, and our guest is Jamie Harris. Jamie is a singer and songwriter from Waco, Texas, who is one of my new favorite artists. Her debut full-length record, Red Rescue, was released in 2018 to well-deserved high praise. For whatever reason, that album snuck my by ears, but her follow-up, Boomerang Town, which came out last year, got its hooks in me on the very first listen. As fate would have it, Jamie was on tour with the legendary Mary Gaucher at that very moment, and the tour was stopping just down the road. And thankfully, Jamie agreed to sit down with us at Graham Parsons Dairy Down in Winter Haven, Florida earlier this month for a delightful conversation about writing, teaching her incredible new record boomerang town and of course pinball everyone it is my honor to bring you my far-reaching conversation with jamie harris Just be careful. So I usually I'm moving away from you because you smell or anything, but but I do. So it's <laughs> I. <laughs> I'm trying to rock the merino wool thing and <laughs> in Florida <laughs> to limit my uh, yeah my yeah. Pe- my the amount of shirts I brought this merino wool shirt and a Rodney Crowell Emmy Lou shirt. That's that's my wardrobe. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, we're definitely gonna talk about Emmy Lou too. Um. Okay, yeah, but the chords, I've never figured it out, and I interview all these people who know what they're doing, and none of them have figured it out, but the chords, if you're not careful and still, then they go... Okay, hopefully. So you're, at some point, you'll probably get excited from what I've heard from your interviews, and if you do, <laughs> if you do please don't be offended if I'm okay. like, Jamie. chill. That's, that's fine, that's fine. Oh, my gosh, I'm... Uh, so we were talking off mic just a second ago about how excited I am to speak with you. I am obsessed with your new record and I title introduced me to it. And then 
it was on the discovery playlist and then I, I pull it up and the, the, f- the fucking opening track is seven minutes long. And I'm like, this motherfucker, <laughs> yeah. this motherfucker, uh-huh. this is, I am going to be a fan of this person. And I, and of course I did. And like, I've been crazy about your record. It's been the only thing I've listened to for about three days. Um, and so I put it out on, on social media. I'm looking something up right now to share with you. Um, and that is, uh, I, I put out that I had gotten into just just gotten into your music and how excited I was and that you were going to be here at Grand Parsons Dairy Down in Winter Haven, Florida. And I was super fired up about that too because I thought, well, maybe I can get her on the show and then also get a chance to see you play. So, of course, fans of my show immediately were like, "Oh yeah, wh- where have you been, buddy? <laughs> like, <laughs> why haven't you been? What are you talking about?" So, like, I put it out on Patreon also that we were going to talk, right? And uh, Rambler Kane who is a guy from Jacksonville, real sweet dude, great songwriter, um, said, that's awesome. She's such an amazing songwriter and is super kind, too. Last year at Folk Alliance in Kansas City, I was pretty starstruck and nervous, but she could not have been more kind or gracious with her time. Got to tag along for a cup of coffee and chat about music, Towns Van Zandt, etc. She's a wonderful person. Well, that is the sweetest. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So, I mean, people wow. love you. Now I'm crying at the beginning. Yeah. I'm already crying. Oh, <laughs> yeah. We haven't even gotten into addiction and all that stuff. <laughs> um, no, but I, I, that makes a lot of sense to me, you know, that he said that from what I hear in your writing. You are such a phenomenal writer. And I, as I listen to your records, and the most recent one's the one I've spent the most time with, but as I listen to both of them that, I, that I'm aware of, like, the depths of your connection to characters, the way that you are able to paint a picture, the stories that you tell and the way you tell them, um, just leave me in awe, frankly. Well, thank you. I mean, it's funny when you said, like, I, I've spent more time with your more recent record because so did I. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, in a way, I think I, I kind of knew about writing from the perspective of dif- different narrators. Like, I... Mm-hmm. I'm a huge James McMurtry fan. He's like one of my top songwriters and one of my, his songs are like my yardsticks in a lot of ways. Mm. And I, when I lived in Austin, which I did for 10 years, I went to go see him play twice a week, every week for like 10 years. The Continental Club? At the Continental Club. I saw the rock and roll show and I saw the acoustic show. Yeah. And I just felt like, and I, I do this sometimes as I obsessively listen to songs or that I love is like, I feel like if I can just physically be closer (laughs) to those songs that by osmosis, it's going to make me a better songwriter. Like it's going to seep into my being. Um, And so I think I took a lot of direction from James just by watching him do what he does so masterfully. But really I went to a songwriting workshop. This is how I met Mary, my partner, Mary Mm -hmm. Gaucher. It was a songwriting workshop with Mary Gaucher, Gretchen Peters, and Eliza Gilkison that happened in 2017. And it was a few months after my mentor died, and mm. who was Jimmy LaFave. And uh, I had never been to a songwriting workshop before. I was afraid to go to a songwriting workshop. Like Songwriting had been mostly a very solitary process for me. 
Yeah. And I could go where I felt compelled to go in that process. But by going to a workshop, I learned so much. I learned how to do things that I wasn't doing. And I also learned how to do things I was doing subconsciously, consciously, which helps me, especially in co-writes when I get stuck. And something that Mary teaches, which is really stuck with me, is that even if you are the narrator in your song, it's still a narrator. It's not Jamie today. It's Jamie three minutes ago, 30 minutes ago, three years ago, 30 years ago. And having that, ju- having that amount of distance, no matter how small it might be, gives us enough courage and distance to go deeper. Oh, wow. <sighs> um, so much there. One confessional to people listening, I just got to meet Mary and I was very awkward. Uh, I was really excited to meet her and I was just like, hi, yeah, yeah. Hey, what's up? Um, you seemed very cool and calm to me. Thank you for lying to me. But I know how that Um, feels. Yeah. (laughs) But another thing struck me that you said, which is you kind of, you almost poo poo the idea that, um, you don't learn by osmosis. Cause I, I, I'm paraphrasing Saul Williams here, but like, you know, you are a product of the things that you consume, right? And so if you're consuming James McMurtry, I've seen him twice. I, I've interviewed him. Um, if you're consuming James McMurtry, you're consuming the highest of the art form. Oh, God. <laughs> right? And so I, I, I think that like that has to come through in the writing that you end up doing, right? I think so. I hope so. I hope that I'm able to integrate my hero's work. And then, um, I mean, for me, like I started playing music when I was a kid. I started, I didn't start writing until after I got to see Patty Griffin, Julie Miller, Emmylou Harris, Sean Colvin, James McMurtry, <laughs> Buddy Miller, like all in one weekend, which was the she, first Austin Salem oh Music Festival. I think I also got to see Robert Olkeen, Kelly Willis. Like it just blew my mind. And I went from playing cover songs thinking like I could never write to like, that's what I want to do. Yeah. And part of like what really inspired me was that, um, and I'm, I'm starting to learn, like I got diagnosed with ADHD in the pandemic, like a lot of millennials that <laughs> got onto TikTok finally in the pandemic. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm about to have my second autism assessment. So things are starting to make sense. So I've always been kind of obsessive. And if I want to, if I'm in love with something, I want everyone to know about how much I love it. And so I wouldn't stop mm-hmm. talking about Julie Miller and my grandmother. We were driving around Waco, which is where I'm from. And she said, you know, I went to Bible study with her mother for a long time. And I said, no. And something in my brain clicked like, oh my gosh, if like Julie Miller has spent any amount of time in Waco and Emmylou Harris is singing her songs, like maybe I can be a songwriter. There's something about that knowledge that like gave me permission and also just watching Patty Griffin do her thing that inspired me to, to do this, to be a songwriter. Wow. Well, there's something else you said that I thought was interesting, which is because I think I can relate to this feeling, which is that you were kind of uh, anxious or nervous about co- the, the writing workshop. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I personally am at a crossroads in my creative life where I'm like, dude, it's time for you to go to workshops. It's time for you to get your writing out there. It's time for you to get feedback. And I'm just like, nope, I don't think I want to do that because then people might tell me it's not good. And right now I'm just in an echo chamber where fans of my work read it and they say it's good. And I read it and I say that it's good. Um, But I'm not sitting with peers or people who are better than me 
and trying to bounce those ideas and to, to grow in that way. Right. I want to get better, but I don't want to necessarily face the deficiencies. Right. Mm -hmm. So how did you kind of get through that barrier? Well, asking that question, I realized that I didn't answer the other question that you asked me previously. I was like, where was I going with this whole Julie Miller thing? And this, Uh so, uh, I mean, I think what I did is I went from playing cover songs to like being a songwriter and I wrote songs for a very long time and I played them out live for a very long time, but it wasn't until I got sober and maybe about four or five months in a recovery, I wrote a song called Snow White Knuckles that I feel like that's when I landed on my Mm. writer's voice. Mm -mm. Like this is Jamie Harris. Like this Mm -mm. is this, by far it was the strongest song I'd ever written. Mm -hmm. And so to me, like everything else had measure up to that song. And so, I mean, one of the things that like discouraged me from going to workshops was a lot of time I saw, and no offense to people that do this, because teaching is really, really difficult. It is a very hard thing to do. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I'd see people that taught and a lot of them were men, which I'm like, that's cool. Or sometimes there are people that maybe were more hit songwriters, which isn't really what I'm up to. And that's probably never going to be what I'm up to. If I have a hit, it's going to be by a total like miracle slash accident. Um, what I'm up to is this, you know, kind of underground troubadour singer songwriter thing. And that's what I love. That's where I'm comfortable. So when I saw that there were three women who were out there, troubadours, not just like making records, but also working in the genre that I was in, that I like really respected their writing. I knew that if Mary Gaucher or Gretchen Peters or Eliza Gilkison gave me direction that I could take it from them because Mm. I had so much deep respect for their work and also for their careers. And uh, they they had careers that I want. Yeah. They were playing the kind of gigs I wanted to play. They were, their songs have been recorded and respected by people I respect. It just seemed like that was an opening for me. And now, you know, there's so many incredible songwriting workshops and I think every time I get to sit in one or now I've started teaching a couple of them, I always learn something. Um, I think this art form, we always continue to learn, but I think part of the deal is being like, you have to be able to not, you have to be able to, you don't have to do anything. You only do what you want to do. But I think that it's helpful to know that you really deeply respect the person that you're getting instruction from. And I also think it's important to like limit the amount of people that you get feedback from. And I know some people disagree with me on that. Uh. Um, But all of that to say, Personally, like I, even though I've been doing this for a long time, I still very much feel like I'm at the beginning in a lot of ways. Mm. And um, I don't know what it would have been like to bring in a writer's workshop before I found my writer's voice because mm. I, I don't have that experience. But I do think that there's some feedback which I've received, some requested and some not requested, that I can go, wow, thank you so much for that. But like, I am going to disagree with it. And here's why. For example, you mentioned like Boomerang Town. It's yeah. a seven minute long song. Yeah. And I had several people say, maybe you should cut this out or cut this out. And yep. I just, in my deepest heart, I knew like this song has to be seven minutes long because this is the only way to tell this story. And it's a story I've been trying to tell for a long time. It feels like a song my soul has wanted to write for a long time. It, it just, I know it has to be this way. It doesn't make sense for it to be seven minutes long. Like on paper, no, but it has to be this way. So people I really respect told me I might want to look at it. And then other people I really respect were like, wow, great job. And 
if I, I don't know what would have happened had I listened to the people that I respect that told me to maybe change it or edit it or, um, but what I do know is that in March of last year, I ended up playing a show in, um, in, uh, Washington, Bellingham, Washington. Mm-hmm. And there was a man there that came up to me after the table and he said, my brother died under that bridge and you got that song exactly right. So part of me thinks like maybe my soul, I mean, I don't know, this is pretty woo woo, but maybe my soul knew that if I, if I had taken certain advice and edited it in a way, would it have reached that one person as deeply as it did? Like maybe, but maybe not. And I think, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm really not in the hit business. Um, I'm here to connect with, I guess who, with Woody, what Woody Guthrie would say, you know, you, uh, comfort the disturbed. How do you do that? By disturbing the comfortable. Mm. That's kind of what I'm up to. Mm. God, and you're doing it so well. I'm so glad you shared that, all of that about Boomerang Town. Um, cause like I said, I mean, it, I saw the, I saw the length, right. As I looked at it and I was like, <laughs> And it did take me aback. And then I listened to it. I was like, oh, yeah, well, of course, this had to be a seven-minute song. I mean, it 100% makes sense as a seven-minute song. And I don't know how you could have told the story shorter than that, right? And so the fact that you – I'm really grateful as a consumer of your art now, as a as a huge fan now, that um, that you made that decision and that you didn't listen to the, the people who were trying to push you in a different direction and that you trusted your gut. Um, I, something else you said in there interested me, which is – that you've been teaching a little bit. What has that experience? So the educator in me, I'm a middle school English teacher. And so the educator in me is interested in sort of, I know I learn a ton by teaching my kids and it forces me, especially as someone who's a writer, it forces me to really think about my own practice because I'm teaching kids how to do it and I'm teaching kids how to consume. Right. And for me, I learn a lot every day about what I'm, what I'm doing that I'm preaching and what I'm not doing that I'm mm-hmm. preaching. <laughs> and I'm interested if you had a similar experience or what you've learned from that process. Yeah. Well, I'm very new to, to, to teaching. I've been co-teaching a little bit. And first of all, it is just like, for me, one, like a miracle of sobriety and of this art form that I can do it because I have such a fear of speaking, which is why I became a songwriter in the first place. It's because I've had such a difficult time communicating verbally. Mm. And so in a song, I feel like this is what I want to say, or this is how I feel called to say it. And yeah. it's like exactly right. You know, or even I prefer to write an email or then make a phone call. Like I'm, I'm just uh, speaking kind of scares me. And so to get up and kind of teach, I do think of it more as like encouraging, but absolutely. Like I just taught a workshop it was, this was really cool. I got to teach with Susan Gibson who wrote wide open spaces. And mm. there's also Brennan Lee who I love and mm. Lloyd Maines, Michael Hearn, Terry Hendricks. And a lot of the students there were asking about our discipline. Like, do you get up? Do you write every day? How, you know, often I'm like right now, mm-mm. I try to do morning pages every day, but I'm in a dry yeah. period. I'm not like, I think I've heard Rodney Crowell like writes every day. And I think there's a lot of, awesomeness to that um see if i was writing every day i probably would have found a stronger word to say than awesomeness in this (laughs) moment Uh um because i mean i've had an experience so like two years ago i came up with this crazy idea which was i wanted to explore the state of florida because i never really explored florida Mm. so i dropped myself off in the panhandle and i spent 
every two to three days, like driving to a different town and collecting stories and writing and recording a song in each town. And I'm still working on some of those songs and some of them came out pretty fully formed. And I think I need to come back and I want to try to really finish that cycle of songs. Yeah. Um, but what I noticed by doing that was like some of the songs were like, especially in the beginning, were a lot more serious. And by the end, one of my favorite songs that I wrote is called Lobster Telephone, which is inspired by the Salvador Dali sculpture. Uh-huh. And, and it's been really great. And it's been a fun song to have in a really heavy set. And it's been, um, I pulled it out a lot of songwriter rounds cause it's short and I'm having so much fun playing it. But sometimes it's like, I do experience if I write through a lot of the heavy stuff, which happens if I'm writing a lot happens if I'm writing every day, if I'm more disciplined, then I get to the lighter stuff. And I have found oddly now that it is more vulnerable, vulnerable for me to play something really light and silly than it is to play a song about like alcoholism or <sighs> mental health because I'm like, or, you know, I've been in a really stable, happy relationship and, mm-hmm. you, you know, but it's like, I feel <laughs> it just, it's more terrifying. Cause I'm like, are people going to make fun of me for playing this? Mm-hmm. But I want to play it. So I'm going to play it. So it's really good to be reminded of, you know, by students that, um, you know, that I could be more disciplined. And I'm always also reminded like I, how deeply grateful I am that my parents were really supportive because mm-hmm. a lot of students, songwriting students that I worked with, are people in their 60s and 70s that are just now pulling the guitar out of the closet because maybe their parents have passed on and they were told from a young age that they couldn't or shouldn't pursue this mm-hmm. not even for fun that it was frivolous and yet here they are they've put aside this calling for decades and are coming back to it because you can't run from a calling like songwriting I don't think I think if or to be any writer or creative I think It'll catch up with you in the end. And the courage is always so amazing to me. The courage that it takes mm. at 60 years old going, hey, I'm at the beginning or 70 or 80. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm at the beginning of this process and I'm open to learn. That is always so humbling. And, you know, it's funny. I haven't encountered a whole lot of professional song, you know, professionals and air quotes, but songwriters like, that are that have gone to writing workshops because a lot of times we have a lot of music conferences and a lot of them are very um centralized around the business of music but not so much around the creating of the creation of music so sometimes when people ask me for songwriting advice i tell them to go to the tennessee williams literary festival in new orleans because you're going to hear writers talking about writing Mm. they're going to talk about writing from the perspective of different narrators who they bring in to help them with their, when they're writing with different narrators, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I learn so much from students. They come up with it, it just the, the fact that this art form can be so transformative. Yeah. When a student shares a song and we offer some feedback, but we don't tell them what to do and they find it within themselves and their face lights up. Mm-hmm. And they're like, wow, I'm mm-hmm. a songwriter. <clears throat> or even if it's someone that doesn't play an instrument and uh, we work with them on the melody a little bit and I sing their, their words back to them and they light up like someone else is singing my song. Yeah. It's like that's an exhilarating feeling. Yeah. And uh, we all have it inside of us. Oh, my God. That's so beautiful. I'm, I'm not special. <clears throat> I've just been uh, I got obsessive with it and I've just, you know, had encouraging parents and I've just been doing it for a while. But. I'm not 
you know, I'm for, I'm further along than I was, but, um, we're all, you know, we're all, we all have the power to work on this. Oh, I love that. I love the humility, humility in that. I do think you're, you're special, but I understand what you're saying. And, um, and then also that you've, you know, you've pointed out that you've been doing this a while and you've been, you've put in the work, right? So there's a reason why your songs are landing with people, but that's so beautiful that you're then able to impart that same gift onto people who are starting out. And it's really inspiring to me to hear, I write songs as like a serious hobby, you know, like I, and, and I get up and play them sometimes. I haven't in a while. It's been too long, but, um, but I write them as a serious hobby and you said something in there that makes so much sense to me, which is almost all of my songs are about social justice. So almost all of them are like super heavy and they're about like, you know, a young black man who was shot and killed or that I taught. And then there's like uh, a guy who was another black man who was wrongly accused of murder. And, you know, that's what that's Mm -hmm. what I end up writing about most of the time. Um, And. Then I just recently wrote one about heartbreak because I'm, you know, I'm going through what I'm going through. And then uh, I try to write love songs and it just sounds like some, and, but in general, I'm a romantic, like I'm a pretty optimistic person. I'm pretty positive. Like I'm, I, I'm fun loving, you know, but for whatever reason, it feels weird to express those emotions. I totally understand what you're saying that for whatever reason, I'm okay being vulnerable saying like I have anxiety and (laughs) racism sucks, you know, like Mm -hmm. that I feel totally comfortable singing in front of strangers. But if I'm like, I love you, you're pretty and nice, you know, it's like, I I can't Uh for whatever reason, I can't do that. I very much relate. I totally relate. And I don't know. I haven't like, gotten to the bottom of either what it is about me (laughs) uh that feels you know that struggles with that or like if it just feels is it weird is have we like squashed joy in a way like do we feel like i don't know there's a there's such uh an amazing place for it well i think also the songs that i'm attracted to have always been sadder songs. Oh, when Mary and I got together. So, (laughs) (laughs) so when Mary and I got together and I was like super stoked, like on cloud nine, I was like going through my music, like, okay, uh, I don't have a soundtrack for this time in my life. Yeah. Like I don't have like upbeat. I'm in love walking on a cloud music. (laughs) Like Towns Van Zant's Marie is not pairing well with this moment. That I'm in right now. You're trying to like, trying to jam lungs. And yeah. Uh-huh. And you're like, uh-huh. oh, this, uh, okay, maybe uh-huh. not. Yeah. Maybe it's not, not, not vibing with me today, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, one thing that is a happier thing, I think, is pinball. Oh, my gosh. So. When you were saying, I was like, I still have not written a song that has pinball in it, which oh is like, gosh. I don't know how that's possible, but I don't like, it's not a part of the culture here in Florida that I know of. Um, actually Florida has a very strong pinball game. Okay. Tell me. So there's a, well, first of all, there's a website you can use called pinball map Fuck, yes. and you just like click on it and it'll tell you where the nearest <laughs> pinball machine is. And I will say at least in a lot of the cities that I've been in in Florida, like I'm within walking distance from a pinball machine Get out of here. So that's another reason why I love touring in Florida. Cause there's so much pinball Orlando has an incredible, I got to look it up, but there's like one of my favorite pinball places ever. 
is in Orlando. Oh, and I I'm remember, super curious what that is. Oh, uh, yeah, I got to find it. And it's cool because they've got a bunch of like the universal ones, like the creature from the Black Lagoon in 3D, which I love. And I remember I was there one night and a cool thing will happen. Sometimes if somebody's absolutely killing it, I'll just kind of stand by them. You know, and after a while, mm. if they notice, they go, okay, you want me to teach you some stuff? And I'll go, yeah. Uh, and I had that happen. I wish I could remember the name of the arcade right now. It's it's a, it's not coming to me. But I had that there, and a, and a guy taught me a lot of things. One thing he taught me, which I has made me feel a lot better, is that on the new machines, there are three modes that the bar can set it to. So one is, like, just regular play, you okay. know, as far – not terminal play, which is regular play, like, whatever happens, happens. And then the second is kind of, like, a bummer, which is if somebody is killing it and it's like a pay for play type of deal. So if it's not a place where you pay $12 and walk in, and you get to play as much as you want. If it's like, you got to put a dollar in every time you play a game. If somebody like this guy that was killing it in front of me, once they lose their last ball, the next game, you'll start noticing it'll start shooting the pinball kind of to the outer lane because it wants to discourage that person from hogging the machine. Uh. But if you're kind of after that, then it might start shooting the ball into the outer lane. I was like, oh, learn that in Orlando. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, I I mean, pinball is such a part of like country music lore, right? I, I think about like Waylon Jennings and, you know, those guys all, and Johnny Cash playing pinball. And when I was in Nashville, uh, I talked to think a little bit about this on the last episode, but I um, spent a couple days in Nashville and just kind of bopping around and had this magical time. And I stumbled into a bar called No Quarter in East Nashville. Yes, that's my jam. I so, love that place. Free pub for No Quarter. Uh, they were awesome. The owner was there, and I forget his name right now, but he was awesome. And uh, he was just so sweet to me. I ended up coming back at, like the next day because I just had so much fun. They had all these pinball machines, and like I hadn't played in. 15 or 20 years probably <gasps> I don't know like a wow. long time right and then I was like oh this is gonna be a part of my life now <laughs> like this is this is a new thing and I wondered what you think is the because I haven't yet processed mm -hmm. the attraction to it right I just know that when I was playing I was having fun and it was I was I was zoned out I wasn't I wasn't in my existential feelings I was just yeah. enjoying my, and maybe that's the whole thing. I don't know, but I'm curious what it is that appeals to you about it to the point where you know that there's a pinballmap.com. <laughs> um, I also would like to shout out old quarter or uh, no quarter because they have, I have a lot of pinball merch, none of which I brought with me tonight, unfortunately, but oh, I have a lot of pinball merch and I have a pinball poster that my friend Brad Bond designed for me and it's mm -hmm. hanging up in no quarter, like next to the Sturgill Simpson, John Prine pinball poster oh dope so that makes me feel really happy and um i love that place i think for me like you know i haven't fully put my finger on it either it's kind of meditative yeah i like i'm not i love it so much but no matter how much i play it uh i'm i'm never excellent i'm just i'm pretty good <laughs> i got some high scores i can get you know a couple objective high scores wherever i go but I'm not like the best at it. I can never monetize it, I don't think, which is appealing to me. Yeah. And pinball machines for me are like guitars. Like, mm. it you know, you could get a pinball machine made the same day, um, but it depends on like, what is the ground like? How close is it to the machine next to it? Has it been taken, like, has someone taken good care of it? 
Mm. Is there a little glare because of a neon light in a particular place or because the glass hasn't been cleaned? Does it stick or does it not give you replays? Like every machine is a little bit different based on where it's located. So you got to adapt to the machine itself. That's so interesting. Cause I, I asked the owner like which machine to play and you know, it was kind of one of those things. It's sort of like asking a server, like what's the best thing on the menu kind of thing. Right. Or they're sort of like, well, I guess I'll answer this question, but and he was really nice about it, but I can, I could hear, I could s- probably hear in the back of his head him being like, I got to answer this question again. And I don't know, man, whichever one he wasn't, he was really nice about it. But I just, after I asked the question, I was like, I bet it's like that because I didn't think about it the way that you just described the whole thing. Like the analogy to guitars makes a ton of sense because he said something to me that, that then kind of changed the game It's a very simple comment. He just said, he pointed to the, it was a Johnny mnemonic, um, pinball machine and he's like, that one just got serviced. And I was just sitting there oh, like, yeah. oh, shit. Yeah, I guess you got to service these things, huh? And there's probably a whole industry of people who service these machines. And if it isn't serviced, it probably doesn't function properly like a guitar. And none of that was, you know, until I was in that space and had a chance to have that conversation, none of that made any sense, oh, yeah. you know? It's totally machine. I think you start like... There's certain ones that you fall in love with, or that's been my experience that I fall in love with for certain reasons. Like, you know, when it comes to the new machines, the Jurassic Park one is just excellent. Oh, cool. It's just so cool. And if if you start going a lot, you'll start seeing, like, there's a place that I think is sadly going to close in Ann Arbor. It's been open forever called Pinball Pete's. And one of the reasons that place is so cool is because almost every machine in there is like a special edition or a premium edition, which means it has certain features that the standards don't. Like a common feature on a premium machine would be, um, and one of the, the way you get a skill shot in the Jurassic Park is that you you shoot the pinball up into the uh, into the T Rex. Well, on the premium machine, the T Rex moves so he actually swallows the ball moves his head and uh. the helicopter flies like things like that that are cool so sometimes if i'm if i'm at a place i'll look and s- look for that first like is there one is there a machine i haven't played or two is there one that i really love but maybe it's a special edition another yeah. one i love like multi-ball is my favorite thing so if some mm. something has a cool multi-ball i love that like the godzilla is really cool because you got to get three balls on top of the building and that's oh, how you get fun. multi-ball uh-huh. actually one of my favorite multi-balls ever also because my other passion other than roller coasters and pinball and emmylou harris slash songwriting is um, <laughs> is horror movies oh. and there's a really funny halloween pinball machine and the way you get multi-ball a lot of times is you got to get the ball in the same spot but for this one it's three different hedges like how michael myers hops out behind the three different hedges oh so funny. that's cool but one of my favorites like i like i like the old williams machines like overall those are my favorites like um one of them i mean pinbot that's a great one like where you have to um, open the, you open the eyes and then you like shoot an eyeball into one side and then the other or pinballs they become the eyeballs and that's how you get multi-ball and it's just two and when you lose them you're out there's oh, no wow. rebound like things yeah. like that I, I, I just feel like I got really nerdy and specific and we're gonna have to edit all of that out of that I'm so is, sorry none of that is gonna get edited out <laughs> so l- it's gonna be like what <laughs> podcast is yeah it? none of that is gonna what get is she talking out. about <laughs> nope um 
people often ask me, you talk about the creative process with mostly musicians. Does that ever get repetitive? And I'm like, nope, sometimes <laughs> we go on a pinball rant. <laughs> That's another thing. Like, so, you know, I like to hike too. And if I'm working on a song or a business problem or, you know, just in my own head and I, I need to get into playfulness, yeah. especially with writing. If I'm too much in the business part or too much in the serious part of my life and I'm not playful enough, I feel like I'm kind of shutting off the muse. Yeah. And my spirit loves adventure. You know, that's why I'll get in the car and go ride a roller coaster or go play a pinball machine. Like I need to get into the playfulness in order to be creative. Yeah. Or sometimes like some writers will, you know, work on a song until they get stuck and go for a walk. Like I'll go play pinball. And it's also very mm. musical, especially the older ones. Ah. They have all these bells and they make all these sounds. And sometimes I'll overhear somebody talking, you know, that I go, oh, that's going to end up in the song. Or it just, you know, it just unlocks something for me. Oh, wow. Okay. So is that, what does that look like in the moment? Are you remembering what somebody said or are, do you have like a notebook out while you're playing pinball and you're like shooting the ball into the T-Rex and then you're like... T-Rex mouth. I don't know. Let, what me I don't know. Let me pause on this. Yeah. So I am a definitely a bullet journal person. So I write a lot of stuff down. I carry it with me everywhere. But if I have an idea and I don't have that on me, I email it to myself and then it ends up in this thing I call my scraps pile, mm. which is a Google document I have that goes on forever and ever and ever. So anytime I read something in a book that sticks out that might make its way into a song or any type of inspiration, like uh, Will Kimbrough, I got to see Will Kimbrough play live not long ago. I guess it was at Americana Fest. And Jimmy Buffett had just recently passed. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about all the years that he spent working with Jimmy. And he said, you don't count the years until somebody's gone. Oh, wow. And in the middle of that, I pulled out my phone and emailed myself. I'm like, I'm not letting that get by. Yeah. You know, and I've been waking up thinking about that, putting that in a song. But I've got little you know lightning bolts of inspiration we talk about it like it's not like god this is you know or jamie this is god <laughs> i have a song for you yeah yeah come on it's like sometimes it's little things like that like hmm that's kind of an interesting way to say that i heard somebody else said a uh, uh grief is the great scrambler oh, you know god damn it yeah and i was like excuse me i have to write this down you know so I've got a lot of that in the pile and I'm able to go to it when I get stuck or if I'm looking just to start something. Yeah. I don't let that get past me because, you know, I feel like when I was in my twenties that, and I was, you know, living a little more chaotically and I was also just around a lot more live music and a lot more people that, I don't know. I was just, I just had a lot more flowing through me. And now I realize like I have to show up to the muse. I have to show up and say, Hey, I'm here to work and I'm going to listen. Cause if, I don't listen to what the universe is trying to give me. Like the joke used to be, it's going to go over to Bob Dylan's house, which might still be true. You know, yeah, maybe it's going yeah. to Isabel's house too. I don't know. Right. But, uh, <laughs> so I think like every time that I don't honor a little jolt of inspiration that I'm telling the muse that I don't need it around. And that's dangerous for me to do. Oh my god. So goodness. I do try to pay attention. Yeah. <sighs> Grief is the great scrambler has me shook. I mean, I'm just like in the thick of it. Mm -hmm. And so processing that, yes, yes, it is. It, everything, everything feels sideways and flipped upside down. And then sometimes it's just straight and narrow and everything's great. And then the next minute it's like, oh, I can't function. And then relationships and like trying to figure out, does this person 
interested in talking to me right now? Are they not interested in talking to me right now? And usually I'm very socially adept. And like now I'm not feeling grief is the great scrambler. Fucking a. All right. You know, you can't copyright a title. If it ends up as a title, maybe we'll both write. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's, no, go I, ahead. I'm not going to be able to write this, that song. You are, and it's going to be great. Um, okay, doors are in the uh, Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Thank I'll wrap you. this up. Um, we usually end on what you're getting down on. So that's the art that has you fired up at the moment. You mentioned horror movies, and I'm interested in if you've seen any horror films lately that have you fired up. Controversial, but I loved the Thanksgiving horror movie, the Eli Roth movie. Okay. I absolutely love that. Now, this year, I'm looking forward to the Maxine, which is part of the X trilogy, Mia Goth, anything Mia Goth is in. Okay. I absolutely oh, love. yeah. I've seen X. Yeah. Uh, X I've and seen, Pearl. I've seen Pearl's those two. the prequel. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very Oof. into very into that stuff. I yeah. love it. Um, there's Folks a, listening, don't go into that lightly. Like, yeah, it's, no. <laughs> no, that's not an injury level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also I really love um, funny horror movies. Um, there's like Chopping Mall from the '80s. Maybe that wasn't supposed to be funny, but I think that's hilarious. Where um, mall robots take over. Okay, that's okay. a really great, okay. hilarious uh, robot slasher film. Okay, from the '80s that cracks me up. Um, I'm really, you know, speaking of podcasts, there's a podcast I love called Ruined where they actually deep dive into d- horror movies. Okay. So it's two comedians. One loves horror movies and the other one can't stand them, but she's a comedian and she wants to also understand a bunch of Simpsons references. Okay. So she explains, <laughs> so she explains the plots and that's, I like that podcast. I'm pretty into that right now. I've also been into this, uh, speaking of comedians into this workout thing called school of thought, T H O T with Stasia Patwell. Okay. So I'm doing this like eight week intense fitness and food thing uh-huh. um, that involves workouts. And it's been great because I've lost like 175 pounds over the course of many years, many, many years. Okay. And I know a lot about losing weight, but I don't really know about building muscles. So that's kind of the trip I'm on right now. I, man, I don't know why. So that Rodney Crowell record that came out last year, the Chicago Sessions. Yeah. I got so hooked on one song. It's called Love and Use the Only Way to Fly, which he wrote with Jed Hughes and Sarah Buxton, I think. And I listened to that song so for over and over and over again that I didn't really get to the rest of the record. And I recently started listening to that record a ton uh-huh. and it is my ultimate jam right now. I just cannot stop listening to that. Oh, record. what a gift. It's fantastic. That's how I was with, um, James McMurtry's the horses and the hounds because canola yeah. fields had me in a chokehold. And now, then I just got a vinyl copy the other day. And so now I'm really sitting with the record. I'm like, Oh, well this is of course, top to bottom. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. That's a hundred percent. Anything James McMurtry does, I'm still currently fired up about always. Yeah. I'll have to tell always. you off mic. Folks have heard this story too many times, but I'll tell you about the time I interviewed James. I uh, would like to mic. hear that story. <laughs> Jamie, this has been incredible. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Oh, I, there's something else I'm fired up about. And oh, I should good. tell you about it. Yeah. I just realized. So I haven't really publicly announced it yet, but I'm going to soon. So I'm going into the studio in February. So one of my ultimate heroes is Emmylou Harris, and um, she is so incredible at uplifting songs that she didn't write, right? Has been for a bazillion years. That used to be the model, right? Like you have people that sing songs and people that write songs. And, uh, you know, I'm a girl that has Towns Van Zandt tattooed on my right arm. Like I love Texas dude songwriters, but I started realizing like, I don't, there has to have been one, but I haven't really seen one, which is a, tribute to songwriters 
female songwriters that have strong connections to Texas. Mm. So I'm going in the studio in February and I'm going to track several songs that, uh, well, the whole record will be made up of songs written by females that have strong connections to Texas. Awesome. And I'm going to bring in some cool folks to help me uplift those songs. And, um, it's very out in a way it's very outside of my comfort zone to like, record songs that I didn't write. Yeah. Like talk about imposter syndrome. Like how, <laughs> who am I to do this? Like, yeah, Oh yeah. my God. Um, but because the songwriting model has changed in so many ways, you know, it's like Bonnie Raitt still cuts outside songs. Miranda Lambert cuts outside songs, but especially like in this genre in which we operate, there's not a lot of people doing that that I can think of. So I decided like, I guess I'll do it. And I'm fired up, but I'm also nervous about it. And uh, but I'm I'm excited to try something new. Oh, that's awesome! I'm so excited for you, and I can't wait to hear it. Thank you. That's awesome, man. Well, thank you for everything. This has been a dream, and I'm really I'm so grateful that I got into your music, and I'm so grateful that you spent this time with me and and shared so much energy with me. Like this is this is good medicine, and I'm really grateful. Well, I'm grateful too, and thanks for making the trip. And I can't wait to like dive in your podcast and for it to be my next fired up thing as I'm like driving through Florida. You so named a bunch timing. of my guests. Will Kimbrough's been on the show. Yeah, Murtry, all of them. So have fun. Thank you. All right. Jamie Harris, y'all. Thank you so much, Jamie. Thank all of you for listening. JamieHarris.com for all things Jamie Harris. Y'all know I've been on a vinyl kick of late forever. Uh, the physical copy of Jamie's Boomerang Town is so cool. Uh, you can hear the song that you're hearing in this episode, which is the title track on that wonderful record. Go get a copy from her store or catch her out on the road with the legendary Mary Gaucher. If you meet Mary, be way cooler than I was, or don't. She's very cool either way. Uh, you know, I wanted to kind of add a little addendum to um, our conversation about pinball. One of the, I've been playing pretty constantly since this, this chat, and uh, I've specifically been playing Godzilla. The She mentioned the Godzilla machine, uh, and I am obsessed with it. I'm in there at my local bar at least three sessions a week playing pinball. I'll just go to the store, and then on my way back home, stop and put some quarters in the machine and play. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, it's just a cool new hobby, and I'm really grateful that I got to talk to her about it and kind of pick it apart a little bit and analyze why it's so special. Marinadepodcast.com for all things The Marinade. Follow us on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Reddit, Spoutable, Twitter, Blue Sky, Mastodon even. We're on all the things other than Facebook. Subscribe and give us a five-star rating on your podcast app. Tell a friend about the show. These are all free ways to support The Marinade. If you could go do that right now while you're listening, it would make a big difference for us and cost so little of your time and effort. If you really like what we're doing and can swing it, please consider joining our Patreon community. For just two bucks a month, y'all, you can gain access to Patreon-exclusive content like our show, Jason's Journey, where I talk about the moments that shape my creative life and provide a window into the process of making the marinade. I want to give a huge shout out to Jody Rosen for checking out the Patreon. Jody is an author of the book that I'm reading right now, Two Wheels Good, The History and Mystery of the Bicycle. Uh, he also writes for the New York Times Magazine, among other publications. Incredible writer. Go follow him on Twitter and look forward to our conversation because thankfully Jody has agreed to be a guest on the Marinade. So I'm really excited about that. You can be like Jody and try a free trial of the Patreon to see if you like it. No pressure. 
Try it for seven days. Set a reminder on your phone in case you want to cancel. Keep going if you dig it. Y'all, one of the best days of the month is recording what we're getting down on with my dear friend Peter Haroldson. We got to do one live uh, a couple weeks ago. That's up now on the Patreon. It was so much fun. Um, It's just like a chance for us to connect. That's what the Patreon really is. If you want to support the show financially and you don't want to commit to a monthly subscription, totally get that too. You can Venmo or PayPal us. It's just at the marinade. All the money goes right back into the making of the show. These festivals we get to cover, opportunities to go out of town and, and cover shows it happens because of our patreon community but above all we're just thankful that you listen and spread the word about the marinade until next time go out and create something cheers y'all